Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report for Thursday, March 10th, 2022. The Climate Report broadcasts and podcasts on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org. Today's Climate Report starts off with some brief Ukraine-related climate and energy news before taking listeners to the Amazon, and then we'll talk about The Jump, the newest global action movement based on research showing how individuals can make six personal climate action pledges and reduce emissions 25% immediately. But first, for local listeners here in the Nevada County, California area, in one month, there will be a local climate change summit held on Monday, April 11th, from 6 to 8 p.m. at Nevada County Media in Grass Valley at the new local multimedia recording and events campus on Crown Point Circle. Tickets are required with more information at nevadacountymedia.org or Nevada County Media's Facebook page. I will be involved as the moderator. It's a one-hour panel with four local leaders, and I will be asking them each the same five questions. Following the one-hour panel will be a very brief circle, that's the South Yuba River Citizens League, a brief circle segue, before a half hour is then devoted to audience Q&A, with questions vetted and selected by the newly formed Nevada Union High School's Climate Change Club. The focus for this local climate change summit isn't on if climate change is happening or why, as those have been long established with information readily available. The focus is specifically on what is happening right here in Nevada County and what is being done about it. The four panelists include Sue Hook, District 4, Nevada County Supervisor and part of a longtime local ranching family. Rich Johansson, NID District 5 board member, that's the Nevada Irrigation District. He's also a longtime local organic farmer in the foothills in the valley. Ellie Alano, local forest supervisor for the entire Tahoe National Forest and an expert on environmental planning. And Lars Ortegren, licensed electrical contractor, general manager and co-owner of California Solar Electric Company. Longtime local expert on backup power through batteries generators, and solar, both on and off grid. So one panelist representing local county government and ranching, one for local surface water and farming, one on forests and fires, and one related to backup electricity and self-generating power. All local leaders, food, fire, forest, water, power, county services. The five questions are, what local impacts are are you already seeing? How is your group, organization, or industry already adapting to these changes? What actions is your group or organization taking or planning to take to be more climate friendly? How do you foresee these changes impacting Nevada County in the future? And what should Nevada County citizens know and do about these ongoing disruptions? So again, for listeners in the Nevada County area, in one month, there's a local climate change summit held Monday, April 11th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Nevada County Median Grass Valley. Tickets are required and already available. Seating's limited to only 100 audience members. And for more information, go to nevadacountymedia.org or Nevada County Media's Facebook page. And we'll also put a link on the Climate Report's Facebook page. Now for a couple segments on the Ukraine invasion, fossil fuels, and the climate. It's already taking up a lot of mental, emotional, and media space. However, there 
were a couple of interesting perspectives worth sharing here related to the climate and fossil fuels. First, briefly, in case it hasn't been covered enough elsewhere, here's a simplified breakdown in what makes the average price of gas at the pump. Because yes, war is driving the lion's share of current record price spikes, and it's helpful to know what else drives the full price. Nuances matter. For example, the West Coast states of Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and California generally have the highest prices in the country, with California leading the nation, while the Midwest and Southern states have cheaper prices. Seasons matter. Usually this time of year, motorists stay home waiting out the cold and not driving places. It can be too dangerous and just not as fun. But climate change boosted warmer temperatures have encouraged more travel and driving for cooped up people, generally creating unusually high demand for this type of time of year when prices normally dip as people used to drive less in the winter. Then, of course, yes, oil traders and investors and speculation of shortages and conflicts drive up the price of crude oil, which by itself, crude oil makes up just over half the price of gas at the pump for the average American. And while the U.S. had only around 3% of its oil demand met by Russia, Russia as a whole produced more than a tenth of the world's oil in 2020, which if that amount was suddenly taken off the market would impact global prices. Also, global oil production already lags behind consumption. Oil production on a whole on the planet remains below pre-COVID production levels with slow ramp-ups. So consumption and demand is quickly rocketing up, but but the consumption isn't quite keeping pace. Also remember, this was the industry that suddenly had a negative price of oil in 2020 when COVID shut the world down and there was too much unused oil, costing oil producers and the countries that depend on them, significant revenues that they are keen to make up. Now, for every dollar someone in the U.S. spends on gasoline at the pump, 53 cents of that, 53%, goes to the speculation-based price of crude, unrefined oil. And production of crude, unrefined oil is carefully manipulated as best it can be based on forecasts for profit and supply and demand. After pulling it out of the ground, next in the process is the price of refining crude oil into usable gasoline. That's 12 cents out of every dollar. 12% of the cost at the pump is refining what comes out of the ground, cleaning it up, turning it into gasoline for our vehicles. Then after refining it, there's the cost of distribution and marketing, getting it from the refinery to your vehicle. That's 21% of the price. So 53% is the price of crude oil. Then 12% is cleaning it up, turning it into gas. Then 21% is getting it to your vehicle. And then lastly is federal and state taxes at about 15%. So those four components, the cost of crude oil, the cost of turning it into gas at the refinery, then getting it to us from the refinery, and then lastly, 15% for politicians to play with. That last gas tax part, is dwindling as EVs take over the roads. And on the last climate report, we talked about ways that governments are looking at replacing that gas tax with a road tax that could involve tracking technology and time-based pricing to discourage peak traffic driving. You can find that show from February 24th archived on the kvmr.org podcast page. Well, the bad news, as we know in the marketplace for oil, is that the price of gas usually immediately reflects any jump in oil price, while the opposite is true on the back end. 
as gasoline price reductions are put in place much slower than the rate at which the price of oil drops. And then, as is often the case, there are also noteworthy U.S. refinery closures that create national bottlenecks in turning oil to fuel, with last year's hurricane still taking a toll and Shell's decision to close a large refinery in the Cancer Alley area near New Orleans. That adds up to about a 3% reduction in America's national refining capacity, which is enough to make a difference in the market. And that's purely weather and business-based decisions. Several new large refineries are due to open up next year in the Middle East and around the world, but that won't help the market price at the pump this year. So lots involved in the price of gasoline at the pump, including Russia's invasion, with U.S. politicians rushing to talk about drilling more oil and pausing collection of gas taxes, all of which would be worse for the environment and the climate than the long-term economy, versus figuring out how to continue to move away from oil and just not use it. Remember when we sat on our vehicles, didn't go anywhere for a few weeks, and the price of oil hit zero? Next is an interesting perspective on the top climate scientist in the Ukraine. Recently, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that was put together by the United Nations, every few years they release a series of reports and updates. They take years in the making. They just recently released the latest one. And the Ukraine had a team of 11 scientists from their country that they had contributed saying, these are the top people from our country. While they were rushing to finish the report, threats of war and bombs started. And here is a compelling article from The Guardian entitled, This is a Fossil Fuel War. Ukraine's top climate scientist speaks out as Western governments untangle themselves from Russian oil and gas. Svetlana Krakowska notes that the roots of the climate crisis and the invasion are in fossil fuels. It says, for Svetlana Krakowska, Ukraine's leading climate scientist, it was meant to be the week where eight years of work culminated in a landmark UN report exposing the havoc the, Christ, the climate crisis is causing the world. But then the bombs started to crunch into Kyiv. Krakowska, the head of a delegation of 11 Ukrainian scientists, struggled to help finalize the vast intergovernmental panel on climate change, the IPCC report, ahead of its release on February 28th, even as Russian forces launched their invasion. She said, quote, I told colleagues that as long as we have the internet and no bombs over our heads, we will continue, unquote. But her team, scattered across the country, started to peel away. One had to rush to an air raid shelter in Kharkiv. Others decided to flee completely. Internet connections sputtered. One close friend of a delegate was killed in the fighting. International colleagues to the IPCC report had to express their sympathies and press on with finishing the report. Krakowska's four children sheltered with her in their Kiev home as a missile struck a nearby building, emitting an ear-splitting roar. A fire from a separate strike sent up a plume of smoke that blotted the sky. Both the invasion and the IPCC report crystallized for Krakowska, the human, economic, and geopolitical catastrophe of fossil fuels. About half of the world's population is now 
acutely vulnerable to disaster stemming from the burning of fossil fuels, the IPCC report found. While Russia's military might is underpinned by wealth garnered from the country's vast oil and gas reserves. Said Krakowska, I started to think about the parallels between climate change and this war, and it's clear that the roots of both of these threats to humanity are found in fossil fuels. She said burning oil, gas, and coal is causing warming and impacts we need to adapt to. And Russia sells these resources and uses the money to buy weapons. Other countries are dependent upon these fossil fuels and they don't make themselves free of them. This is a fossil fuel war. It's clear we cannot continue to live this way. It will destroy our civilization, she said. The IPCC report, described by Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, as an atlas of human suffering and a damning indictment of failed climate leadership, is the most comprehensive catalog yet of the consequences of global warming, extreme heat, and the spread of disease is already killing people around the world. And about 12 million people are being displaced by floods and droughts each year. The viability of food-producing land is shrinking, but it is the conflict in Ukraine that has finally caused Western governments to hastily attempt to untangle themselves from a reliance upon Russian oil and gas. The EU, which gets about 40% of its gas from Russia, is working on a plan to rapidly upscale renewable energy, bolster energy efficiency measures, and build liquefied natural gas terminals to receive gas from other countries. Joe Biden, meanwhile, has relented to pressure from U.S. lawmakers to ban imports of Russian oil. The halting of imports was urged in an emotional appeal to members of Congress by Ukrainian President Zelensky, and it's backed by a bipartisan majority of lawmakers Famous Joe Manchin, the centrist Democratic senator that is tanking Biden's climate efforts, said that it's basically foolish for us to keep buying products and giving money to Putin to be able to use against the Ukrainian people. Others see the ban as a moment to decisively break from fossil fuels altogether. Said Ed Markey, a progressive Democratic senator who is a driving force Behind the Green New Deal agenda, this moment is a clarion call for the urgent need to transition to domestic clean energy so that we are never again complicit in fossil-fueled conflict. But in a stark demonstration of how deeply embedded fossil fuels remain in decision-making in the U.S., Biden's administration has awkwardly attempted to extol its efforts to confront the climate crisis while on the other hand also boasting that the U.S. is now drilling more oil than even under Donald Trump to show it's cognizant of public anguish over rising gas prices, a perennial political headache for presidents. While the U.S. takes a relatively small amount of oil from Russia, again, only about 3% of all oil imports, experts say it is telling that an administration vocal about the need to reduce fossil fuels has found it difficult to cut itself from its own self-dependency on oil and gas. One expert in energy policy at Columbia University and a former energy advisor to Barack Obama administration, Jonathan Elkin, said it's a crude oversimplification, no pun intended, it's a crude oversimplification to call this a fossil fuel war. That's a little too glib, but he says it's an undeniable reality that Russia gets a significant share of its revenues from oil and gas and that America's gasoline habit contributes towards the global demand for 100 million barrels of oil each day. 
He said, do we want to find ourselves 10 years from now where we've bent the curve on oil consumption and emissions downward towards decarbonization? Or do we want to sit there and think, where did the last 10 years go? If the U.S. isn't a part of the solution, we will put in peril our influence on the world stage and the fate of everyone, both here and around the globe. While Europe belatedly attempts to wean itself off Russian gas, efforts to phase down fossil fuels in the U.S. have faltered. Biden's legislative plan to drastically ramp up renewable energy is basically dead on arrival in Congress, largely thanks to Manchin. While the conservative-leaning Supreme Court is currently mulling whether to weaken the administration's ability to regulate coal-fired power plants. The invasion of Ukraine has also triggered a push by the oil and gas industry in the U.S. and its allies in Congress to quickly loosen regulations and push to allow more domestic drilling. Manchin, chair of the Senate Energy Committee, has said that delaying new gas pipelines when Putin is actively and effectively using energy as an economic and political weapon against our allies is beyond the pale. Even Elon Musk, founder of the electric vehicle company Tesla, said that we need to increase oil and gas output immediately. Extraordinary times demand extraordinary measures. Well, the White House has pointed out that the industry is already sitting on a huge number of idle drilling leases. There are a total of 9,000 unused drilling permits covering 26 million acres of American public land. While environmentalists argue the crisis highlights the dangers of being at the mercy of a volatile global oil price now near an all-time high, rather than shifting towards solar wind and other sources of clean energy. Said Jamal Rod, executive director of Evergreen Action, the fossil fuel industry's so-called solution to this crisis is nothing more than a recipe to enable fossil-fueled fascists like Vladimir Putin for years to come. As long as our economy is dependent on fossil fuels, we will be at the mercy of petro-dictators who wield their influence on global energy prices like a weapon. He said American-made clean energy is affordable, reliable, and free from the volatility of oil and gas markets. The best way to weaken Putin's grip on the global energy market is to get America off of fossil fuels, unquote. Well, the article ends wrapping it up back to Krakowska. And Kiev Krakowska said that she will stay in her home city as the Russian army advances, having declined offers to relocate to foreign research institutions. She said, I know that's what Putin wants, for us to flee Ukraine so they can have our beautiful country. The article closes by her saying, I have told scientists in other countries I will collaborate with them, but from an independent and free Ukraine. I couldn't be in another place knowing that Kiev was in the hands of those barbarians. Next, we'd like to talk about the Amazon and some alarming new data and information to make sure that we understand what's happening and what's at stake. Then we're going to make sure that we close the show with latest research showing what actions individuals can take. And the new group called The Jump that is organizing a global movement for those in richer developed countries to pledge to take six actions that could immediately reduce emissions by 25%. But as a reminder why that might need to happen, here's the latest on the Amazon rainforest as research shows that its tipping point is looming based on an analysis of satellite observations. It says the Amazon is approaching a tipping point, data shows, after which the rainforest would be lost with profound implications for global climate and biodiversity. 
Now, computer models have previously indicated a mass dieback of the Amazon is possible, but the new analysis is based on real-world satellite observations over the past three decades. Novel statistical analysis shows that more than 75% of the untouched forest has lost stability since the early 2000s, meaning it takes longer to recover after droughts and wildfires. The greatest loss of stability is in areas closer to farms, roads, and urban areas, and in regions that are becoming drier, suggesting that forest destruction and global warming are the cause. The scientists conclude these factors may already have pushed the Amazon close to a critical threshold of rainforest dieback. The study does not enable a prediction of when the tipping point could be reached, but the researchers warned that by the time the triggering of the tipping point could be detected, it would be too late to stop it. They also said that once triggered, the entire Amazon rainforest would transform to grassland over a few decades at most, releasing huge amounts of carbon and accelerating global warming further. Tipping points on a planetary scale are among the greatest fears of climate scientists as they are irreversible on human time scales. Last year in 2021, the same statistical technique revealed warning signs of the collapse of the Gulf Stream and other key Atlantic currents with an almost complete loss of stability over the last century. A shutdown of these currents would have catastrophic consequences around the world, disrupt, disrupting monsoon rains and endangering Antarctic ice sheets. Another recent study showed that a significant part of the Greenland ice sheet is on the verge of its own tipping point, which would lead to seven meters of sea level rise over time. For Americans, that's three Shaquille O'Neal's. Said that Professor Nicholas Boers at the Technical University of Munich in Germany, many researchers have theorized that an Amazon tipping point could be reached, but our study provides vital empirical evidence that we are approaching that threshold. Seeing such a resilience loss in observations is worrying, he says, the Amazon rainforest stores huge amounts of carbon that could be released in the case of even partial dieback. Bowers added that the Amazon is definitely one of the fastest of these tipping elements in the climate system. This research was published in the journal Nature Climate Change and examined satellite data on the amount of vegetation in more than 6,000 satellite grid cells across the untouched Amazon, looked at from 1991 to 2016. They found that in the past 20 years, areas impacted by droughts or fires took significantly longer to recover than before. It's a key sign of increasing instability because it shows the processes of restoration are getting weaker. Bernardo Flores at the Federal University of Santa Catarina in Brazil said, The study shows that although the forest may seem fine, with its normal structure and biodiversity, internal processes are already changing silently reducing the system's capacity to persist in the long run. The approach used here for this research is interesting because it reveals early warning signals of these changes. The IPCC models project an overall drying of the Amazon region in response to global heating, making the process worse. Another study last year, based on data from hundreds of small plane flights, showed the Amazon now emits more carbon dioxide then it absorbs mostly due to fires. But Boers said the data indicated that the tipping point has not yet been crossed. He said, so there's hope. 
Professor Tim Lenton at Exeter University in the UK, a co-author of the study, said it supports efforts to reverse deforestation and degradation of the Amazon to give it back some resilience against ongoing climate change. And Chris Jones at the Metropolitan Office, Hadley Center in the UK, said this research adds compelling evidence that climate change is a risk now and that these severe and irreversible impacts could become a reality. We have a narrow window of opportunity to take urgent action. On our last bit in today's climate report, we're going to talk about what research shows that urgent action is. Research shows that governments and individuals making small changes can have a huge impact in reducing emissions. Six key lifestyle changes can help avert the climate crisis, a new study finds. People in well-off countries can help avoid climate breakdown by making six relatively straightforward lifestyle changes, according to research from three leading institutions. The study found that sticking to six specific commitments from flying no more than once every three years, to only buying three new items of clothing a year, could rein in the runaway consumption that is partially driving the climate crisis. The research carried out by academics at Leeds University and analyzed by experts at the global engineering firm IRUP, and also by the C40 group of world cities, found that making these six commitments could account for a quarter of the emission reductions required to keep global warming down to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The study was just published on Monday alongside the launch of a new climate movement to persuade and support relatively well-off people to make, quote, the jump and sign up to the six pledges. Tom Bailey, co-founder of the campaign, said this ends once and for all the debate about whether citizens can have a role in protecting our earth. We don't have time to wait for one group to act. We need all action from all actors now. Last week, the IPCC issued its bleakest warning yet, saying the climate crisis was accelerating rapidly with only a narrow chance left of avoiding its worst ravages. Bailey said as the world reaches the edge of ecological collapse, it needed a workable alternative to this universal consumer society in the next decade. He said the research is clear that governments and the private sector have a large role to play, but it's also equally clear from our analysis that individuals and communities can make a huge difference. The Jump campaign asks people to sign up to take the following six shifts. Eat a largely plant-based diet with healthy portions, no waste. Largely plant-based diet, healthy portions, no waste. Buy no more than three new items of clothing per year. Keep electrical products for at least seven years. Take no more than one short flight every three years and one long flight every eight years. Get rid of personal motor vehicles if you can, or if not, just keep hold of your existing vehicle for as long as possible and drive it as little as possible. And lastly, make at least one life shift to nudge the system, like moving to a green energy plan, insulating your home, or changing your retirement provider. The campaign was officially just kicked off on Saturday. Bailey said there was already a growing movement emerging in response to the evidence with group jump groups up and running around the country. He said this is not just new information or a normal behavior change campaign, but a fun movement that is working to go way beyond the usual greeny suspects. Bailey said there's been a widespread misbelief in climate circles in recent years that individual action was relatively ineffective and that the only option was to get out on the streets and demand systemic change. Obviously, this is still hugely important, he says, but what this research shows is that there is a role for a new joyful climate movement 
which can help lead the way to less stuff and more joy. Some of the shifts the campaign calls for are at least partially dependent on systemic choice. The prohibitive cost of train fares might leave individuals with little choice but to use short flights for journeys. Public transportation may be expensive or non-existent in areas of the country, leaving people with no choice but to use their car. Although not everyone would be able to commit to all the pledges, just making a start could have a big impact, he said. This isn't going back to the Stone Age, it's just finding a balance. Less consuming in relatively rich Western countries can mean more creativity, comedy, connection, live for joy, not for stuff. The research is based on a study by academics at Leeds University, Arup, and the C40 group of leading cities, which assesses the impact of consumption by people in the world's leading cities. An analysis of that data has found that these six steps set out above could cut global emissions between 25 and 27 percent immediately. Ben Smith, director of climate change at Arup, who led the analysis, said that as scientific evidence mounts, it was clear that all sections of society had to act. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For daily news headlines in between broadcasts, including heaps of good news and tips, there's a Climate Report social media page. For questions or comments, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org.